Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We're your hosts, James and Anthony. In this episode, we will be discussing Christopher Nolan's obsession and use of time in his movies. All right, movie friends, let's get into this really interesting discussion. James and I, as you all know, are massive Christopher Nolan fans. We always look for reasons to get Nolan in the podcast, and we came up with this interesting idea of discussing how he uses time and his films and his storytelling and writing, and especially with the visual filmmaking. Yeah, time is the most common motif and plot point in Christopher Nolan's movies. Even films like Insomnia, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, where they seem obviously clear-cut linear storytelling films, he's still using time as a thematic element. And that's why it's such a fascinating concept to talk about because even when he's not using it in movies like Memento where we're telling two stories at the same time, two plot lines, one forwards and one backwards, or a time dilation in Interstellar, or a slowing down of time in Inception, he still has time all over his films, all over his stories. It's something that he has been obsessed with. I gotta stop you there because I I disagree with you as time being his most important storytelling device. Did I say important? Uh, well, well, what would you say? Most uh, common. Most common. Uh, Dead Wives is number one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Dead right. Wives, dead he, time. He loves killing wives. We'll do a whole episode on Nolan Dead Wives. Emma Thompson better watch out. <laughs> Just kidding. But t- time, I think, is the most common motif and plot point in his movies. He has this a massive fascination with time. I think it's really interesting because human beings can only experience time in one way. Going forward, sometimes it feels like it's moving fast, sometimes it's moving very slow, but that's all we can experience it. But film allows us to experience time in a whole new spectrum. We can go back in time. We can watch movies in nonlinear story structure like Pulp Fiction or Memento or The Prestige, Batman Begins, and see time in a really interesting, fascinating way where you're watching the present future and past of a storyline of a character of a sequence happening all simultaneously in one project one plot but all over the place and it's really interesting i think film is one of the only mediums where you can where you can do that and i think that the obsession with time and the fascination with time for nolan is really valid because if you think about it time is the most important commodity that we have doesn't matter how much money you have time still continues running out for you and everyone has only a finite amount of time and so i think that's really interesting how nolan's always exploring this theme and always exploring the idea of of time and his approach to time it varies from film to film Uh, and also he always avoids the cliches that you see there's no time travel in his movies. Tenet is not time travel. If you saw our episode on it, and we'll describe it again in this episode. Not in what we normally yeah, see. We'll get to that in a little yeah, bit. It's more of reversing, t- uh, like experiencing time in reverse rather than time travel. He always avoids the grandfather paradox. And those are things when you think of a time-based movie, it's always going to be time travel. We're always going to have some kind of grandfather paradox. And I love how he's always avoided that cliche and approached time in very unique ways. Uh, as storytelling devices, uh, famous sequences like uh, Murph, I mean, like Cooper uh, watching the videos of his kids after he's only experienced an hour of time himself, but they've aged 20 years. 23. Uh, 23 years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Inception, similar idea of time moving so slowly that if you're in limbo, you're stuck there for decades, maybe even longer, but it's really only uh, a short period of time in the real world. 
I love how he approaches time. Uh, it's very unique. Nobody ever really does it like him. Uh, you can say a movie. What did we just see? Buzz Lightyear has a similar uh, structure as Interstellar in terms of time dilation. And so you can see his imprints uh, being used in more pop culture movies nowadays. But I think no one has ever really approached time in the way that he has. I agree. And that's why he's one of my favorite filmmakers because time is constant in our lives whether we recognize it or not or whether we realize we're losing it every year as we get older and i think we all perceive time different differently as we get older i think when you're younger in your teens and 20s it feels like time will last forever and you're you're going to be immortal and like you're never gonna <laughs> never run gonna out of old. it especially when you're a kid you're but then age. as you get older as you age you perceive time differently i'm sure i'll look at time completely differently in 10 years as i do now and in 10 years after that and i'm sure christopher nolan feels the same way that he's been experiencing and thinking about time differently and it's kind of changed in all of his films but before we continue the best way to support raiders of the lost podcast besides using our coupon codes is to become a patron at patreon.com slash raiders of the lost podcast you get awesome perks like personalized videos patreon shoutouts in the show weekly bonus episodes that every patron has access to as well as our ten dollar twenty five dollar tier and one hundred dollar tier patrons have access to our discord where we interact with you every day and do our watch parties twenty five dollar and one hundred dollar tier patrons also get their own custom episode you pick the topic you pick the movie whatever you want us to talk about we make a custom episode for you hundred dollar tier patrons are also executive producers on the main podcast episodes you can hear your name at the end of every main episode we also launched our podcast masterclass online course last year. So for anyone who wants to start a podcast or improve their current podcast, our 22 chapter 46 video lesson course will give you all the secrets behind the scenes of our show. The link is podcastmasterclass.teachable.com or go to our website, raidersofthelostpodcast.com. It's right there on the homepage. Thanks so much for tuning in around the world. Leave those five-star reviews for us. We love reading what you all love about the show. Keep tuning in, and let's get back into Christopher Nolan and his obsession and use of time. Now, I have a couple of quotes from Nolan from an NPR article interview of him in 2020 that I would love to read for you guys, if that's cool. Let's hear it. Now, he was asked about his use of time, and Christopher Nolan said, Time is the most cinematic of subjects because before the movie camera came along, human beings had no way of seeing time backwards, slowed down, sped up. And I think that went some way to sort of explain to me why I've been interested in exploring it in movies because I think there's a really productive relationship. And I had this visual notion of a bullet that's in a wall regarding Tenet being sucked out of the wall and into the barrel of a gun as it was fired. He also said, but I always harbored this de desire to create a story in which the characters would have to deal with that as a physical reality, which is prevalent in a lot of his films. And then more on Nolan. What I like to say about my fascination with time is I've always lived in it. And it's a glib response, but there's truth to it. And as I get got older and get older, you know, I turned 50 just before the release of Tenet. And as I get older, as my kids get older, your sense of time changes that kind of feeling that we all have as we get older of losing things and things slipping away and things moving ahead of without us. And there's a tremendous sense, you know, coming into middle age of acceleration of time. So I think this is something that he's always thought about. It's always been prevalent in his stories, even going back to his first debut following, which wasn't really a, a studio production or anything. That was his direct, technically directorial debut. Even you could say Doodlebug, his original short film, has something to do with time, the perception of time for human beings. Well, what's interesting is the quote about the bullet, which is an early idea he's had since he started filmmaking. And that's actually, it's not exactly in Memento, but the bullet reverses into the gun. And that's because he's actually 
telling the story like we all know in reverse whereas in tenet uh, time is actually flowing in reverse for what that object the bullet actually stuck in the wall then traveling out of the wall on its own accord and it's really cool to see him go from memento and take that idea it's very simple and it's more of a, a filmmaking technique that he used to make the bullet go in reverse and then it's like he was leading all of his career led up to tenet mm -hmm. where he finally figured out how to convey that idea realistically within the plot itself and how he came he discovered the science behind it that seems to make sense once you get a grasp for the world that he built and it's not the filmmaking that's making the bullet reverse not reversing the film but it's the actual bullet itself within the world he built and it makes total sense scientifically and um with the physics of it actually moving this object is moving in reverse on its own accord as opposed to the rest of the environment and it's it's within so it's really interesting to see how he started with this concept and how he basically bookended it with tenet and every, everything led up to that but also following memento basically all of his films i really would like to talk about uh, First, his use of flashbacks. Nolan has always used flashbacks in pretty much every movie at some point. I think the only movie he hasn't used a flashback in is Ta Dark Knight. That's Dark Knight, uh, Dunkirk. Okay, Dun Dark Knight and Dunkirk. He doesn't use flashbacks. But every other film of his has flashbacks in them. And flashbacks are a common device, but not every filmmaker uses them in all of their movies. And not every, obviously, not every movie has a flashback in it. But it's something that's constant in his films. And you look back to, all the way back to following the finale of following. I'm going to spoil the following's ending right now. If you haven't seen it, just fast forward like a minute. Uh, but the following's ending is the the character Cobb. Uh, he fig he discovers that he's been duped by everyone around him. And then he begins getting flashbacks to the conversations he had with his, uh, with both his lover and his new friend, the criminal. And that, but that flashback sequence makes him realize that he's been set up to be the fall for these crimes. And that was an excellent use of flashbacks in the third act of the film during the finale climax. Excellent twist reveal. That's an awesome use of flashback. But then Memento, there's this great use of flashback with his wife, where he is constantly like. I mean, is, am I wasting my... Like, there's thing in the back of his head is like, is this really useful? And then he just gets these quick flashes of his wife dead on the bathroom, on the floor of the of the shower. And that's just, like, motivation for him to continue going on, to keep pushing forward, to keep trying to solve this mystery, find the killer. And, and that's an excellent use just in a second film of flashback start. And it's not like a, a entire scene flashback. It's just like a flash, a quick cut of his wife's face on the floor. Yeah, I think we should really point out the difference between a flashback versus nonlinear storytelling. Yeah. So nonlinear storytelling is something that Nolan's done in almost half of his movies, which is something obviously is was super famous with uh, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction by Tarantino. Then Nolan used this kind of storytelling, obviously with following besides having the flashbacks at the end. He tells that whole story, yeah. that whole film, and nonlinear storytelling. Same thing with Batman Begins, The Prestige. And this is where you're basically telling the story from the perspective of... Like, for example, Batman Begins, we're watching past, present, and future all in one storyline bouncing back and forth with each other. Well, it's not, I wouldn't say future. It's past, past, past and present. Past, past, and present. All right, so Far that's... past, relative past, and then present. Yeah, but also the perspective of what storyline is they're telling the future of that person. But so basically, yeah. But Batman Begins is the, is the most clear-cut and easiest to explain the example of it because 
The film opens up. Batman begins with Bruce as a child, you know, running in his garden with Rachel. She finds the little um, Rachel. Rachel. <laughs> she finds the little arrowhead rock. Uh, finders keepers. He takes it. He falls down the well, and then he's scared, and the bat starts to come. But he immediately cuts to Bruce as an adult in a foreign prison. We kind of get four versions of Bruce. Throughout the first two acts of this movie, we have childhood Bruce, we have young adult Bruce, we have adult Bruce searching for his path, and then Bruce coming back to Gotham as becoming Batman. Now, the Batman Batman begins the story structure is like that for about half the film into the second act, but then the story stays consistently as a linear story structure once he gets back to Gotham. Then the non-linear story structure stops, and we're just present-day Bruce as he's back at Gotham becoming the Batman and trying to save Gotham. We stay linear. Yeah, and there's just one flashback we get uh, in the third act of the film. Uh, Why do we fall, Bruce? Of his father. Yeah, of his father, which ties into that initial opening sequence, which is really brilliant. And what I love about Batman Begins' first act is... We get so it's just all character development from different aspects of his life, and the film wouldn't be as interesting if you just took all the scenes of him as a kid first, and then all the scenes of him as a young man first, and then all the scenes of him as a man traveling the world after that. It would just be three 10 minute sequences that would just like kind of just probably lose their steam. But cutting them together gives us a real sense of his mind. Because uh, you're constantly replaying memories and important moments of your life back in your head. And yeah, especially, the flashbacks are memories. Yeah, especially Bruce. Like, these are impactful moments of his life. Huge, huge moments of his life. Uh, the death of his parents, falling down the well, nearly killing a man out of revenge. These are very important moments of his life. So that's why he's always playing them back in his mind. And this is really what fuels him becoming the character of the Batman. And so it's important to constantly see what's running in his head. And he's just constantly... Uh, looking back and reflecting on these, as we all do. I mean, not all of us have crazy, in, in, impactful moments like that in our past, but we are informed by our past, and it informs our present in our decision-making and what paths we decide to take on. And what I find really fascinating about Batman Begins is because, like you said, the first half about, probably like the first 45 minutes, is set in this uh, non-linear structure. And then I think Nolan, because that worked out so well, he got enough confidence to basically approach an entire movie like that in The Prestige. The Prestige, you could say, is basically the same, the, the first act of The Batman Begins, but for an entire runtime. The way he tells a story, we're weaving in between multiple storylines, Angier's present, Alfred's present, and then also the past that shaped them, their interactions, and their perspectives of each major event leading up to the present moment of Alfred being in prison, and then Angier um, trying to figure out the final the trick. The thing with The Prestige is it operates a lot like that, as, although at the same time it still takes that third act structure of Batman Begins where we're staying kind of on a linear path, but using flashbacks to reveal the secrets of the past. Because even when the reveal's happening, when The Prestige is happening, well, obviously spoilers if you haven't seen The Prestige, warning right here, when um, Alfred kills... Angier and he's telling to him how he did the tricks and everything we're still we're seeing flashbacks we're going back even though it's the third act the end of the movie the climax we're getting flashbacks to the past of Freddy and Alfred twin brothers doing the trick together we're seeing like the things of that started with Al I mean with um Angier as well so we're even though we're at the climax we're still not completely linear right here we're using flashbacks in a non-linear way to reveal the prestige of the film because the entire movie of the prestige it's, we learn the rules in the first three minutes of that movie where Cutter is explaining us what a magic trick is, the three 
elements of a magic trick. And that's basically what Nolan does with that entire story is it is all giant a giant magic trick in the reveal at the end the prestige of the climax of the film is the reveal of alfred and freddy's trick yeah the the first act of batman begins is is the entire runtime of the prestige you could say it's just never it's that style from start to finish of the movie because even in the last two minutes we see the flashbacks of like of angia shooting the clone of himself uh, it, it, everything's being revealed from the past in this present moment, and it's the end of the movie. Yeah, and so he, I think he felt so confident in the, his abilities of writing this story that way after the first act of Batman Begins went out so well. And what's interesting about the Prestige is the book; it's different in the movie in terms of it's it's a really interesting way they wrote the the guy wrote the book. So it's told in three perspectives. Basically, it's the perspective of this young man who finds the journal of, I think, Angier was his great-grandfather or grandfather, and he's trying to learn about the past of his father. But we learn, we're, we're getting told the storyline of the journalist who's like the main character of the book, basically. He's writing oh, a story. Okay. He's so not, he's not even in the movie. He's investigating, yeah. he's not in the movie at all, which is a good thing. It wouldn't have made as good a movie. He's investigating the situation and finding more about his past. We're also, we also, the first half of the book, we get the story of Alfred Borden and then obviously Freddie Borden, the Bordens together. And then the entire, and then the second half of the movie is going through Angier's journal. So we go through each magician's journals separately, while cross cutting with the with the narration and kind of the the present day events of the grandson journalist trying to investigate everything, coming up with a story. If you really want to strip the prestige down to its bare bones, the move the entire movie's flashbacks and the in what's really happening in present time is both men reading the journals of each other. Yes, that's it. And then the entire, like, that's, like, what's happening in the present. It's actually not, it's not that much time passing by. In the present, uh, up to the, 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 the most present moment for both characters, but the entire, the two hours of the movie is flashbacks. You could argue, which is very interesting. You could argue the present timeline of The Prestige is while Alfred's in prison. Yeah. And then Angier is going, he goes to get the trick from yeah. um, Tesla, the, the contraption that comes back. And then, okay, so not exactly right away when Freddy's in jail, but um, Alfred's in jail. Alfred, yeah. Well, Freddy's Freddy's, Freddy's Freddy's in jail. jail Alfred's not in jail. Yeah. And then Angier disappearing after his final act. That's technically the present time timeline. Yeah, exactly. There's actually not even that much Angier in present time because what we think is kind of present time for Angier when he's reading the diary, it's really on his journey to try and discover the trick. So so technically, Angier going to the prison is probably was that the only present tense scene. There's no there's uh, other, other than the, the ending. Other the end, end, yeah. Other than the ending, yeah. As the new lord, yeah. So, so basically, what Nolan's doing in the Prestige is the journals is his way to tell the story non-linearly with memories and with journal entries, and that's what we're seeing most of the movie. Which makes sense because it's two it's two men telling the story mm-hmm. and together, and it's cut together. It's just that's what's interesting. Yeah. Interesting because it's similar to Memento, where it's two storylines being told at the same time, whereas in a Memento. What's so interesting about this screenplay, and he got nominated for an Academy Award for this script, is... One of his only nominations. Yeah, it's crazy. It's told in reverse chronological order. So there are two storylines in Memento being told at the same time. So Leonard Shelby is the main character. He has memory loss. His, he's investigating and trying to find his wife's killer. He can't have him, He can't make memories like after 5 to 15 minutes, something like that. He starts to forget yeah. things. That's why he's got tattoos everywhere. He's got notes for himself everywhere. He keeps photos and all that. One storyline of Leonard is going forwards in time, and this is whenever it is black and white. 
And then the other storyline is going backwards in time. And this is the storyline that's in color. And nonlinear storytelling in the way Nolan tells this story and cuts it all up, it's really fascinating because the benefit of it is it's a story of a man with short-term memory loss. It's an interesting concept. It would make a solid movie if you just told it chronologically. But telling the story in reverse chronological order propels this film to great heights of storytelling. It keeps the viewer confused and intrigued at the same time. It puts us in Leonard Shelby's shoes. We don't know exactly what's going on. We're kind of like in the way his mind operates and... You know, for example, the the film opens up with the reverse Polaroid of their Polaroid. We can see the image, but Sh- Leonard Shelby took the photo, and then we're going backwards through time until the photo goes back inside the camera of, of him finding his or him um, killing. Yeah. Uh, we, we can spoil it. Yeah, we can spoil it. Of killing him in the photo, yeah. uh, Joe Pantoliano's character, which is the end of the movie. Yeah. But technically, that happens. First scene of the movie is. After he kills Joe Pantoliano. And like you said, he just like he does in all of his movies, like Tenet, like all of them with these complex concepts, he shows you the rule right away and he shows you what he's doing right away. The opening is it's the story's being told in reverse. The best way to show that is actually seeing a Polaroid camera go from being finally the picture being from going from exposed to covered in gray before. And so you can see that the, the Polaroid is being reverse exposed. So that tells us. This is going to go in reverse, scene by scene. Yeah, and just think about it. When you're watching the black and white scenes, it's him just, like, meeting... I can't remember Joe Pantoliano's character in the movie. Yeah, me either. Um, meeting him, like, talking to him on the phone, and then eventually meeting him. And then when he starts to meet him and interact with him, and that's when the story's going backwards, although... It, and it feels like that story's going forward. So it's it's really interesting way to tell a story. And you kind of just think of it as, like, a, a sideways you, where the black Teddy. and white... The, Teddy, the black and white storyline is the top part of the U, and then we're curving down and going backwards with the color storyline. But then he tells that all at the same time. I would say that um, the black and white storyline, it you could say it's actually not even really happening. I, I, I like to look at that sequence as Nolan explaining what's happening, what it, who this character is, uh, and it's not really it doesn't have any bearing on the plot itself, other than informing us who this character is and what life is like it, it helps us really get a sense it's it's like exposition storyline you could call it yeah kind of in a way and so you could say it's, it's not even actually happening within the plot or has a plot itself it's just really telling us who this character is what his life is like now and also informs of, us of like hinting that oh maybe this is actually the story of the character that really happened in the past past and maybe he just doesn't even remember what really happened to his wife and maybe this is the true story of what happened to his wife and how she really died. And he just has remembered it wrong, thinking that she was murdered. And I, what I think is really cool about Memento tying to Inception and, and Nolan's concept in Interstellar of characters being stuck in time is Inception, you can get stuck in time the lower you go down in the levels of the dream world where like you're in level six and like mm-hmm. just an hour of real time in level six of the dream world is like centuries, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. And then in Interstellar, obviously, we have time dilation, which we'll get into a little bit where... You can get into it now. The closest... Well, I want to relay this to Memento, Mm -hmm. where, you know, you're kind of stuck in time where the closer you are to strong gravity, time slows down. So, for example, when the characters are on Miller's planet, one hour on Miller's planet is seven years in Earth. And also, 
the closer you are to gargantuan, the black hole, the more intensely time slows down. So the stronger the gravitational pull, the more slowly time goes. That's why Cooper is over 100 years old, but he hasn't aged an hour since he was inside the black hole. Same thing with um, Brand when she's on the planet at the end of the film. She hasn't aged at all, and she's over 100 years old as well, probably, because she also flew very close to the black hole, the core of it. So that's why she experienced extreme time dilation on the planet with Cooper as well as traveling across the black hole, the horizon. And now that they're kind of sort of not technically trapped in time, but in a way they are because they haven't aged sort of. But then Memento, Leonard at the end of the film, he traps himself in a loop technically, you could say of time. And he traps himself in a loop of, he's caught the killer. A mind loop. He's in a mind loop, yeah. Where he wants to always stay in this loop of trying to find his wife's killer. And he's already found the killer, and Teddy tries to tell him that, but then he kills Teddy, and then he makes all these clues for himself to tell him the falsities of his yeah. of of the truth. Where you know, don't trust Teddy, don't trust his lies, but trust this woman over here, and don't trust this person. So he sets himself up to continue this endless loop of technically time of investigation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The way I look at Memento is that there was never a wife. There was never a killer of his wife. It's that his his wife, he killed his wife by accident. Because in the black and white storyline, he tells the story of what's the character's name. He Which tells one? the the story of the man with, with the with the wife. Oh, um, ah, uh, crap. Look it up real quick on Looking IMDb. Sorry, but everyone. in this story, uh, his the man the man that Leonard's telling uh, the person on the phone about is this man with short term memory loss and. Uh, although he was really great, Sammy Jenkins, Sammy, Sammy. So Sammy, even though he had short-term memory loss, something he was really great at was giving his wife insulin, and he couldn't do. He his wife had to take care of him uh, day and night uh, because he was basically incapable of taking care of himself. But he was excellent at providing her her insulin shot every day. He did it like a surgeon. He was very precise. Did it perfectly, and so his wife, Sammy's wife, tired. She couldn't bear to do this anymore. She used his disability as an advantage to kill herself by having Sammy give her an insulin shot, and then a few minutes later asking Sammy to give him give her the shot again. Then a few minutes later asking Sammy to give her the shot again, and he perfectly gave every shot, but he forgot that he gave the shot already to her, and that's how she died. I look at the film as that's how Leonard's wife died, and then he is blaming the, her death on a killer, and so her her death in the shower is actually probably her dying from being overdosed with insulin she probably like fell into the shower in the bathroom collapsed onto the ground that's how she died and so he is remembered it incorrectly saying thinking that someone killed her where in fact he's the one who killed her by her basically tricking him into killing her yeah so that's how i look at memento okay so that means that when Leonard is telling the story to Teddy like on the phone of what he used to do in terms of being an insurance uh, like claims operator or agent going to well see- we don't know he's on the phone with Teddy well he's on the t- well we, he's I, on the phone with someone, someone so yeah. it could be Teddy it could be because sometimes you hear Teddy's voice on the phone um, he's talking about how 
We're seeing Sammy as somebody else, that older man. He says that Sammy was in a car accident, which caused short-term memory loss, and his wife didn't believe it, or his wife wanted to actually prove that Sammy really had this short-term memory loss and her way to prove it because she was losing her... Her mental health was slipping because of Sammy's condition, so she's like, I actually really need to test this to see if he actually has this this mental disability now or this handicap and because it's killing her inside, and she she tests it out by... Sammy, it's time for my it's time for my medication. Sammy, and each time she asks, she's just even more and more emotional, and finally probably yeah. realizes that my God, my husband is completely gone, and I'll, it'll never be the same. So, so it's a tough film to watch, but that would, that would mean that obviously Leonard is Sammy Jenkins. He's just yeah, picturing somebody solid, else yeah. in his mind, and it's somebody else's wife when he's telling the story about it. The the story he's telling, it's actually a memory, but he's remembering it as a story someone told him, and he comes up yeah. with the. Uh, assault and rape of his wife, causing yeah. the memory loss, causing the death of that his wife. That way, he doesn't blame himself. So he doesn't have to blame himself. That's how so, I look. That's how I look at Memento. And so, even when he's talking to Teddy, that we found the killer. It's not even the real killer. Exactly. Probably. Yeah. Who knows? Exactly. That's a really great, interesting way to think about it. It's Thanks. Prob- man. It's probably right. It could be right. <laughs> you can, but you can interpret it however you want. Yeah. That's what's great about it. And then, I mean, <laughs> but what's interesting about Nolan and using different storylines to tell a story like prestige like memento like batman begins is he is still he always tries new a new way of doing it a way a new approach i like how he's oh he always pushes himself i think that's one of the reasons why he has such a intense fan base and why so many people love his films because he never takes the easy way out he's always trying to push the boundaries of writing and of storytelling and he's always trying to come up with something fresh and new and i think that's why people respond so well to his films and i think most impressively the fact that dunkirk made so much money half a billion dollars it's a war film set in the uk and yet it made huge amounts of money in america that had never been done before for a british film to make that kind of money and dunkirk he continued to push the boundaries of how he approached writing with writing time in his scripts by using the triptych storyline plot the plot outline of the you have three outline three plots we're watching them visually at the same time but each one of these plots actually takes place over a certain period of time so uh we have the land sequence the land storyline which takes place over a week the men um stuck on the beach that entire sequence from start to, f- to the end of the film takes a, a week of time and then we have the air sequence uh, played by like the pilots played by Tom Hardy and the other actor that sequence from start to finish of the film actually only takes one hour in their time to pass and then the boat sequence with R- Mark Rylance's character uh, and the uh, the young actors that entire sequence from start of the film to the end of the film is a day of their time and so I thought it was so brilliant to approach a film this way that I can't think of a movie that ever did it this way maybe another film has done it maybe with two storylines that I can't think of but to use three storylines and when you watch the movie for the first time it can be confusing but he he does give you a text warning of of the rules like we always say he he tells you Nolan tells you the rules of his films in the first couple minutes always does and but it's still even with that it can be hard to follow especially if you aren't familiar with Nolan and are obsessed with his movies like we are but a second viewing and even a third viewing make Dunkirk a really rewarding experience and then you can really see exactly how he laid these plots out and it's just really brilliant uh because it's a it's a to show dunkirk's event 
I mean, if you really want to tell the story, it's hard to show the story take place because they were they were on the beach for so long, and then the rescue mission. Most films would approach it as the rescue mission would happen in like the third act, but he's showing you the dog fighting and the boat sequence from the first act, and I thought it was just a really brilliant way to translate these three kinds of events that happened to culminate in the rescue mission, and I thought it was just really brilliant. And probably it could be his most impressive use of of time in terms of the story structure of a plot. It's really complex. And also he has the undertone of the ticking clock, yeah. the ticking watch. And a lot of his films have a concept of ticking time, which is common in a lot of films. You know, uh, uh, a, a theme that obviously— It's a great way to get the plot— It's a great like, storytelling yeah, device. Time, it's like a time limit ticking clock. Running out of time. Yeah. You know, Batman in Dark Knight Rises having to get back to Gotham to stop. Bang, Dunkirk, the soldiers trying to survive before they're killed. Cobb and Inception trying to complete their mission before they run out of time. Tenet using time as a tool, technically, with the temporal pincer to stop Stater and his plan. So running out of time. Interstellar trying to get off the water planet in time so that they don't waste enough time there. It's a theme and motif in every single one of his movies, which is super fascinating. And also, he uses the ticking clock in the actual score of his last two films, Dunkirk and Interstellar. They have the ticking clock in the actual music. Yeah, and so Dark Knight Rises, time is a theme there with a race against the clock, which is a common theme in a lot of movies, mm-hmm. but it's, it's still a theme there. Dark Knight, But it actually has a ticking clock yeah, in it. Yeah, exactly. But Dark Knight has a, another form of time that Nolan likes to use in his movies, synchronization, where a lot of events are happening at the same time. Most famously, this is done in cinema, I think, probably at the end of The Godfather when Michael Corleone has the... The five assassinations going on to end the war and to take control of crime of the of the country basically. So he takes out all the other heads of families at the end of that movie during the christening of his nephew. Um, and so synchronization in the Dark Knight is a major use of time in the film. The two most important sequences are the opening heist of that movie. We have the t- the synchronization of the heist, which we have the guys on the rooftop who have to disable security the guys at the vault, and then also crowd control guys in the in the bank. And then even time comes into play in the heist when the bus driver comes to take, to, that knocks over the guy who is questioning the Joker under the mask, why he shouldn't kill him. So time is huge in that opening heist with synchronization. And then also Joker's use of synchronization in the triple assassination attempt in the second and third act of the film where he has to kill the police commissioner, the judge, and then Harvey Dent all at the same time because if he doesn't, then the others will be able to warn each other of the assassinations going on. So all three must occur at the same time. He nails two of them, but he's unable to kill Harvey Dent because Batman shows up to rescue him at the uh, fundraiser. Exactly. And he he's become famous for his third acts having... The three spl- three plots happening at the same time, and so this actually happened first with Batman Begins, where you have uh, actually it's only two. So Batman uh, chasing the train, and then also Gordon and what he's doing, and so there's those two main storylines. Well, Rachel. Rachel, okay, escaping, so Rachel, so three trying to survive. There are three storylines happening at the same time simultaneously, and he's cutting from one to the other throughout the entire third act. So that's the first time he did that, and it's become a common a commonality in a lot of his films, The Dark Knight. You have the three Dark Knight Rises. You have three as well. And so he took that structure of his third acts and he made t- he made an entire film out of that with Dunkirk, you could say. Having three storylines happening at the same time, but for the entire runtime of the film. So just like how he got 
the first act of Batman Begins, how he played with uh, nonlinear storytelling for a portion of the film and then made an entire film like that with the prestige again once he got confident with this three act struct with this three um, storyline structure for the third acts of many of his movies he felt confident enough to tell an entire film's runtime with three storylines happening at the same time now we all know nolan's movies are very confusing um so why don't we take a break for our brains yeah yeah stop gotta, talking gotta... about time for a little bit and head on into our intermission <laughs> we need it speaking of time it's time you head on over to manscaped.com and use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost to get 20% off your entire order and free shipping today. We highly recommend finally getting the Lawnmower 4.0 Groomer, which has 7,000 RPM built-in flashlight. It's waterproof. You can use this thing in the shower. It is the ultimate rocket ship for your grooming needs. Manscaped also launched their Boxer Briefs 2.0, which they sent us a few pairs each, and these are beyond comfortable. Get them. Like, I'm telling you, I, I legit plan out what days I wear these briefs because they are that comfortable, and I need to wear them on the right day where I get maximum use out of it and my, maximum comfort for my entire day. Uh, they also launched their Platinum 4.0 collection, which is their best deal yet. It includes products like the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Body Wash, 2-in-1 Shampoo Conditioner, Deodorant, Anti-Chafing Ball Deodorant, Ball Spray Toner, Boxers, and a Shed Travel Bag. So get to Manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout. You'll get 20% off and free shipping on your entire order today worldwide. Chris Nolan movie posters are some of the most popular posters of all time. I have a bunch of them personally. James has Inception. I got Dark Knight and a few more in my room. The best place to get your posters online is, of course, at movieposters.com. Use our very special coupon code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. They have a gigantic selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable. Everything from your favorite Nolan movie to your favorite classic horror movie, foreign films, Marvel, whatever you want. They got you covered with their massive library of options. They also have selections for backlighting, framing, all sorts of sizes. So whatever your poster needs are, movieposters.com has you covered. Again, use our special promo code Raiders10 at movieposters.com to get 10% off your order today. All right, let's get into our intermission, pal. Let's start with the movie quote competition. You ready? I was born ready. Moisture is the essence of wetness. <laughs> and wetness <laughs> is the essence of life. Merman. 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 Who's winning the match? Pop. 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 <laughs> Who's winning the match, Papa? <laughs> I'm sorry. My hair looks better gelled up. <laughs> What's the movie? Zoolander. Nice. Here's this quote. It's two people. So the first person says, they are rich, but still nice. And then the second person replies, they are nice because they are rich. Oh, good quote. Um, I feel like I know this. They are rich because they are nice. They are nice because they are rich. Oh, crap. What is this? God damn it. I feel like I've seen this recently, too. Um, I don't know. Parasite. Damn it. <laughs> God damn it. All right, guess this movie release here. So Michael Caine, he starred in a TV miniseries called Jack the Ripper. When did it come out? <clears throat> I'm going to go with, <clears throat> excuse me, um, 19. 
88. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up. Yes. No, I knew it was like I was I knew it was either late 80s I or early 90s. I think I twin tuitioned that to you with my brain. No, no, no. I just I love Michael Cade. That was a good I'm shot. Michael Cade. So yeah, nice job. Really impressive. I knew he was um a, a little older but not super old. Very impressive. Thanks. He also did a Sherlock Holmes TV mm-hmm. miniseries, a TV movie. Mm-hmm. I think the year after. Yeah, around that same time. That's what I was thinking of. Okay. Guess this movie release year. The host. 2000 and five, six. Close. Damn it. Close, but no cigar. Damn no cigar, it. kid. No cigar. All right, movie pop quiz time. Who wrote Man of Steel? <clears throat> that would be uh, David S. Goyer and, Z- and Zack Snyder. Nolan came up with the story. How many superhero actors have starred in Bong Joon-ho movies? Superhero actors? Yeah, actors who have played superheroes. Mm, Chris Evans is one. Mm-hmm. Jamie Bell is two. Yep. Is Ed Harris a superhero? Hmm. I'm going to final guess... Two. And what is it? <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal starred in Okja. Oh my god, that's and right. And then Tilda Swinton. Yeah. In Okja and in yeah. Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer as yeah. well. The um, what's her name? Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah. Good question. That's a great question. Thanks, I like that man. a lot. Uh, I was like, did you come gonna... up with that with yourself? I might have. Yeah, I did. I that's did. one of my favorite questions <laughs> that's ever been asked. That was really good. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I did a Bong Joon Ho trivia this week. I could tell. Mm-hmm. All right, um, who we got for haters, unsubscribes this week, Anthony? We got some good hate. We got some good uh, unsubscribes this week. We got a one-star review, too. Oh, really? Yeah. One star? We haven't had two, one in a two while. Two one-star reviews. What? Okay, hold on. Let me do the unsubscribes first, because these are good. <laughs> Landon H. Oh, really? Characters that have telekinesis never fly? You guys should check out the movie Chronicle. Unsubscribed. He <laughs> got me busted. <laughs> and then we have uh, Ethan Reed, 75. Uh, that does it. Long time listener. I have yet to say this, but this does it. Unsubscribed. <laughs> I have ready for these. T- oh, you, I'm I sorry. got another one on. And then, uh, in the movie post to giveaway post, Tanner Mead wrote, if you don't pick me, I'll unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> couch harmonies on our weekly chat, uh, wrote, uh, hungover unsubscribed because <laughs> I told the hungover story. That's it. All right, ready for these one star reviews? They're so I, mean. I guess, oh my goodness. I guess, so. I guess so. Holy crap. Like, people actually took the time to write these. Ready? Raiders of the Lost Losers. <laughs> I don't know what's worse the podcasters or the material <laughs> itself. Both hosts are boring and dull. I wanted nothing more than to take back the time I spent listening to the most recent podcast. Your time, you spelt your wrong, FYI, could be better spent ruffling through the trash or speaking with a homeless person. That's really mean towards homeless people, first of all. Yeah. Second geez. of all, that is really mean. That was... From Podcast Girl. Jeez Louise, my goodness. Uncalled for. Uncalled Sounds like for. an angry ex or something. Very uncouth. And then um, <laughs> uncouth. another it's one. An uncouth review. Trash is better. Um, don't know what these bros are talking about. Why do people always call us bros? We're the biggest dorks I know. 
<laughs> I literally have Funko Pops because we got freaking Baby Yoda on my desk. Because we're jacked, brah. I would rather <laughs> check my trash than listen to this garbage. It sounds like someone made. It sounds like the trash same, is a common theme. Sounds like the same person made two they, reviews. They like trash as much as Nolan likes time. That's a big. That's a bis, big misstep right there. You should yeah. have went a different thematic element yeah. in motif. Clearly, with they're your not reviews. creative enough to write anything else. Well, let's not get them any more upset to write more one star reviews. If you want to help offset these one star reviews, please leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Anyone great. can do that. Yeah. All you need is to, an email to sign up for iTunes. You can do it. Um, that's that's just mean. Yeah, those uh, I, I don't mean, even have like a response. They're just like, wow, that hurt my feelings. Like, I can't believe I'm. I, well, I'm sorry for ruining your lives, guys. So, geez, Louise, <laughs> it sounds like a vendetta, personal vendetta. Of I would someone, rather speak someone, to a homeless man. That's like, really what does that mean? Even mean. That's really mean. Yeah, what a terrible thing to say. I know. What an awful thing to say. Podcast girl, that was really rude. Yeah, that was uncouth. Anyways, we had some great five star reviews <laughs> from G- JP Hatcher. Just some boys from Boston. I popped in from Spotify to leave this review, kid, because these guys are worth it. The Thanks, casual guy. banter, detailed research, winky face, <laughs> and the amazing selection of episodes. Keep up the great work, Griffin. Thanks, Griffin, for the. I love when people put inside jokes yeah, in random Griffin, episodes. Thank you for appreciating our research. <laughs> really appreciate it. Um, we'll do another one just to offset the two mean ones. <laughs> Best podcast ever from Jack Friedman. I've listened to quite a few film-related podcasts, but oh, I think I did this one last week. It's okay, I keep saying it. <laughs> but this one is by far the great. best. I love the Top Gun Two, Stranger <laughs> Things, The Batman, and much, much more. But you guys explaining it makes the show or movie ten times better. Oh, thanks, so, pal. Thanks, thanks, Jack. You get a second shout out. Hell yeah! All right, goodness. Let's move on to our. Fortunately, we're still at four point nine yeah. on our reviews. Thankfully, sorry, podcast girl. Girl. Next up. Our Godfather shout out for today. Who we got? Is Spencer Franklin. Spencer! Spencer! You became a Godfather on the day of a of our daughter's, of our daughter's wedding. wedding. We both have the same <laughs> daughter. <laughs> daughter. You became a Godfather patron. We made you an offer you couldn't refuse. <laughs> Spencer, uh, he's been a, sh- a fan of the show for a while, always interacting with us, and we're so happy to have Spencer on board, our Patreon membership. And they chose an excellent movie for a bonus review. Tombstone. I oh, love it. The classic Western. We're going to do Westerns. Yeah, Have we, we even hit... done Westerns yet? Not really. We got to start. Really. I want to do 310 to Yuma soon. Oh, absolutely. Great pick. Um, we should do Westerns with our dad. Yeah. But we love Tombstone. It's one of our, it's our, our brother, our older brother. It's, one, it's probably his favorite movie. Loves it. Yeah. It's an excellent movie. The cast is amazing. He had a poster of it, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. So. There's a lot of sweat in that movie. It's great. It's a, <laughs> a lot very of sweaty, sweaty mustaches. Very sweaty movie. Great mustache. <laughs> it's probably got the best mustaches in movie history. It's up there. But um, we would love to review Tombstone for you, pal. Thank you so much for being a Godfather patron. Thank you to all of our other patrons for being a part of our membership. It allows us to keep the lights on for the show and do this full time. So James and I appreciate you so, so much. Thank you so much. On this day in film history, today is July 7th. In 1977, The Spy Who Loved Me, the 10th James Bond film starring Roger Moore and Barbara Batch premiered in London. Not the 10th movie he made, but the 10th James Bond film. Uh, 1989, Lethal Weapon 2 was released in 2000. Scary Movie was released in 2011. Harry Potter and Deathly Hollows Part 2 nice. premiered in London. In 2017, Ghost Story, very underrated A24 movie, and Spider-Man Homecoming are released. And happy birthday to Ringo Starr and Shelley Duvall. Happy birthday, guys. My, <laughs> it's, like, it's like they're listening. <laughs> yeah, Ringo Starr is listening to the show. Ringo. <laughs> he loves Ringo. He's great. 
Uh, Ringo's not even the best drummer best in the Beatles. Best drummer of all time. Best drummer of all time. <laughs> Don't you, but have you ever heard the quote where Paul's like, Ringo's not even the best drummer <laughs> in the Beatles? <laughs> Sounds like something Paul would say. Uh, streaming recommendation. Boogie Nights just got put on Netflix for July. One of Paul Thomas Anderson's best movies. You could argue it's his best movie. Absolute masterpiece. Check Definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. If definitely. you haven't seen it in a while. Give it a rewatch. Give it a rewatch, guys. My streaming recommendation. Are you just keep saying everything I say? No, of course not. <laughs> I am I'm my own person. I am a human. <laughs> I recommend Crimes of the Future. It's uh, Amazon rental now. I believe it's only like six bucks to rent it. I watched it and I loved it. How was it? It was awesome. Am I going to puke if I watch it? Actually, I think you might be able to get through it. No nice, problem. Nice. It wasn't as I might bad need a as margarita. I thought. I'll it, have a margarita. Although I am desensitized <laughs> to Cronenberg uh, movies. He has some crazy shit in his older movies so maybe i'm just too desensitized to it i think i'll be okay because we're not seeing it in theaters which is unfortunate we didn't is it out of theaters already it's pretty limited right now ah damn i really want to see it the the graphic parts they aren't that long lasting Mm -hmm. so i think you could watch it but it's really great i loved it it's one of my favorite cronenberg movies sometimes i just have to when i'm watching gore i'm like it's fake it's fake it's props there's there's people behind the camera it's fake like that's what i'm going through in my head it's the best thing he's done since Eastern Promises. That's pretty cool. And he's made like six movies in between, but it's really terrific. If you're a Cronenberg fan, it's right up your alley. If you're not, you might want to just like make me watch another one of his body horror movies to see if it's up, if it's your cup of tea, because it is a very specific kind of audience to like it. It's a polarizing film. It's got like people saying they love it and people saying they hate it. Lots of walkouts in, in cinemas. But I really loved it. I gave it a four out of five on Letterboxd. Four out of five. All right, I'll four check out it five. out. I'll check it out. I think you'll really like it. How about we get back into Nolan, Christopher Nolan, and his use and obsession of time in Obsessed. his films. Obsessed. How about we'll touch on an underrated and forgotten Nolan movie that actually has a concept of time, Insomnia, before we'll get into stuff like Tenet and Interstellar. Yeah. With the big sexy movies. But Insomnia is a really terrific movie. He made it after Memento. It's the only one he hasn't written. And but he still it still has a concept of time. It's obviously in linear story structure order. We're not going backwards in time, but the concept of time kind of not ending and Al Pacino's character being stuck in time, time blending together because the sun is not setting in Alaska at this period of time. He can't sleep. He's kind of losing it. And he's losing track of time. Yeah, and also this movie does have a extensive use of flashbacks where he. Keeps getting flashbacks to the moment where he accidentally shot his partner. And it's basically driving him mad because even he isn't sure if did I do it on purpose or was it an accident? Did I really think he was the killer at that moment or did I know it was my partner? Because as you learn throughout the film, they're being uh there he's under investigation and his partner was going to testify against him. And so there's quite a lot of complexity going on with uh, with the Al Pacino's character. But the inability to sleep, uh, obviously, hence the title Insomnia, and the sun never setting, kind of feels like time is a bit frozen for Al Pacino. We were just in Europe, and I had a, it felt similar where the sun sets at like 10, 10.30 p.m. at that point in time in the summertime. And then the sun's already rising by 4.30, so the sun is out for a lot time, a, a major part of the 24-hour cycle. 
in Europe. And I, it made me feel like, ah, oh, I'm feeling like a bit of an insomnia movie type of vibe going on because it's 9.30 and the sun's still out. Yeah, and Anthony killed his partner too. <laughs> <laughs> He's under investigation. So we're trying, trying to hide out in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go home and sleep for a month. <laughs> But that's why that movie's really fun and interesting because even though Nolan didn't write the script, it was a studio hire gig for him to like keep like you did Memento. Let's see what you do with bigger budget. Take the script that yeah. we have. And it's actually a do. remake of a Stellan Skarsgård movie. And so he nailed it. And I think he was just drawn to it because of the concept yeah. of being stuck in time. Yeah. But also he uses flashbacks like he does in nearly every other one of his movies. It's yeah, it's really just those two movies, Dark Knight and Dunkirk, that don't have flashbacks in them. Now, which is really interesting. How about Inception? Oh, lots of different uses it? of time in this. Obviously, we have flashbacks. We also have memories that we have playing out as entire scenes rather than like a quick flashback. We do have quick flashbacks as well. And then also even like Cobb's prison of memories is a really interesting concept <laughs> of time. But so time, Inception has the concept of time slowing down at different levels of the dream world and it's a world where there's this technology has been invented and created where you can go inside dreams and Cobb is somebody who's kind of a pioneer of this realm and technology and uses it as uh he, should, he sold it on shark tank yeah <laughs> <laughs> he uses it for criminality where he goes inside minds to learn secrets or and perform inception rarely which has happened before he's just at a, well technically it's not like he does that as a job yeah it's but just for stealing secrets he's done it before but like the it incident, was an accident yeah, it was an accident yeah. he didn't mean to do it now you can go in different levels of well he meant to do it he didn't mean for it to kill her yeah that's so, okay yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah, yeah sorry 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 so sorry, you, we're just you, like all in over the dream the world you can go in different levels of dream worlds dreams within a dreams we've all seen the movie now as Cobb explains the amount of time spent in a dream world is compounded with each level on the first and so actually I'll explain what the levels are in terms of relative time into real time. So in dream level one, five minutes of real time is one hour in the dream world. This is explained to Ariadne in this film by Cobb really quickly. So basically one second in the real world is 12 seconds in the dream world. Or one hour of real time at level one is 12 hours at dream level one. And the job that they're on, it's 10 hours that international flight that they're on is one week in the dream world and to keep compounding the next level in the dream world that they enter when they keep going into dreams within dreams is about six months for 10 hours in the real world and then on the third level which is the the fortress the snow fortress for that 10 hour flight it's stretched out to about 10 years in that third world the third dream world of dream time and then that fourth level the limbo is basically a purgatory of dream space explained in the film. Rarely seen, only Cobb and Maul have been there. Eventually, Sato goes there after he succumbs to his wound in the third level and dies. And now Maul and Cobb, when they were stuck there, that's where Cobb, in order to free them from the dream space of purgatory, the endless limbo, they had to kill themselves and he had to supplant the idea the inception in maul's mind that her world is not real eventually they woke up by killing themselves in the train tracks however when she woke up to reality that dream was still inception and planted inside of her mind that her reality was not real because she lost sense of reality she thinks her reality is not real kills herself again that's when she really dies so my guess is that limbo is not even is even a level 
Because the way to enter limbo is to be killed within the dream. So okay, so level three is the snow fort, yeah. and so the the level after that is limbo. You have to you get put back, you get put to sleep again to go to limbo, mm-hmm. which is technically level four, a place that only Maul and Cobb have. Okay, been so level to. four, yeah. All right. So level four, but but if you do the math, level five and six, that's what it comes out to. So, but in level four, still one hour of real time is about two and a half years of dream time. And Maul and Cobb spent something about like 50 years in that limbo realm. And Cobb had to perform Inception on Maul at that level because Mm -hmm. her mind deteriorated so much she lost the concept of her reality and thought that the dream world was her reality. And in order for them to escape, in order for them to kill themselves, he had to plant Inception in her mind that her world is not real so that they could kill themselves. However, that Inception in her mind caused her to when they woke up in reality still think that her world was not real and was still dreaming yeah great, great so they uh, travel yeah. four levels max and that's that limbo era the limbo world is level four and you could say I mean, this might be his most complex screenplay and his most uh intricate plot I, and the more i mean i think inception might be my favorite nolan movie as i think about his filmography because of how i mean it's this had never been done before Ye- the concept had been done in Existence of entering. It was a VR game in Existence. Another shout out to Cronenberg again, where you plug into this game and then there's the idea of like, is this reality or not? But it had no semblance of time. It was just like, is this real or not? Whereas, whereas Nolan took that concept, compounded it, and also threw in the idea of time dilation into the plot, which is just so terrific. Uh, nothing had ever been done like this before. And I love Nolan used his filmmaking to help translate what was going on to the audience to keep us from being confused by using incredible use of slow motion, uh, especially like some memorable parts is the car, is the the van falling off the bridge in super slow motion until it finally hits the water, finally making the second kick that will work. And also Lee Smith's editing of Inception. He's been Nolan's longtime editor. Gets Editors get very little credit in terms of a movie's success. And he did not even get nominated for this film. I think he should have won the Oscar for best editing. It's some of the best editing that I've ever seen in a movie because it's such an intricate plot. Then, and like we were talking about with uh, three different storylines going on, there's multiple, there's more than three storylines going on at the same time, I believe. Maybe it's three, but uh, when you compound that, three storylines happening at the same time, each yeah, Our, each level. Yeah, each level is it's happening in a different technically. Yeah, so it's three storylines that turns yeah. into four when yeah. he goes into purgatory because yeah. we have yeah, Yusuf, yeah, yeah. Yusuf in the real world, yeah. the first level of the dream world with Joseph Gordon-Levitt yeah. trying to create the kick with the elevator. Then the the Arctic world, the, yeah. the fortress is the third level. Of the and story, then limbo storyline. Then limbo turns yeah. into kind of its own separate yeah. storyline where we have two storylines going. Yeah, well, yeah. he just wakes up on the beach, yes. but then but at that one point three is happening. Three is happening. Yeah, but they're all happening at their time is moving differently for each of them, so you can't edit them. Traditionally, they need to be edited in a certain way, and just the way Lee Smith picked what parts to choose, what moments to put in between these moments, I think it was just really flat out some of the best editing ever done, and vital to the story. Going on to Interstellar, there are a lot of different themes and uses of time in this film. Obviously, the most common one in the movie and exciting is time dilation from gravity. Now, time dilation is real time goes faster the farther you are 
For example, with Earth, the time goes faster the farther you away you are from the Earth's surface compared to the time on the surface of the Earth. This effect is known as gravitational time dilation. It was predicted by Einstein in his theory of general relativity and has been verified in the real world multiple times by experiment. So basically, time runs a little quicker outside of Earth's atmosphere versus if you were on Earth. So, the- so say an astronaut in space for a year, they would age faster? Not age faster. Time, time just would go seems, by faster. Time yeah, yeah, is yeah. perceived as faster. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. basically, it can be translated into meaning that the closer you are to something large, the slower your clocks will run. However, that means if your two clocks are the same distance from the two objects, one which has a much stronger gravitational pull than the other, say a planet for one clock and a black hole for the other, the clock around the more massive object will run slower, even though both clocks are the same distance away. Now, a GPS satellite, which orbits about 12,500 miles above the surface of the Earth, is further away from the Earth than those of us who live on its surface, obviously, which means that our clocks on the surface will appear to progress more slowly relative to the clock on the GPS. Unfortunately, we really need these clocks to operate in sync with each other or the location information you get back starts to be increasingly inaccurate, defeating the point of having GPS in the first place. This effect can be mathematically calculated so we can correct for the slight difference in clock speed by setting the GPS clock to run a little slower than normal, just a tiny bit slower as it's literally just nanoseconds. It's not like a large yeah. amount of time. And so if you think about it, the, the true... Uh, speed of time is in open space, basically in the yeah. universe, and you, then whatever arguably. planet you're on, like or close to whatever planet, that slows down the universe's speed of time. Or the closer you are to the planet, because yeah, in gravity. space time, yeah. the planet, the mass is what's pulling time and yeah. space to itself, creating the gravity. Never thought about that. Now, time dilation is shown in the film with being close to the pole, the gravitational pull of gargantuan the mass the massive black hole which miller's planet is orbiting gargantuan pretty closely and that's why we have massive time dilation on this planet where one hour on miller's planet equals seven years on earth Mm. and that's what those waves are caused by is the gravitational pull of gargantuan and as our astronauts cooper and brand the surviving ones from miller's planet come back to the main ship the endurance after leaving miller's atmosphere they have found out that 23 years have passed by the time they get back on earth so everyone on earth has aged 23 years only even though it's only been a couple hours for them on the planet on miller's planet now i know we explained this in the interstellar episode we did even though it only feels like they were on the planet for 15 minutes of movie time it's a movie you gotta assume it took them time to get down to the planet. you can't show three hours of them on the planet so just take it with a grain of salt that they were down there for about three hours in terms of being in the atmosphere and landing. And then also when Coop went into the black hole, he also experienced the extreme time dilation that when he was brought out of the black hole by the fifth dimensional beings, his daughter was now an old woman and that space station had been built. And also Brand. Yeah, That's why Brand, I said earlier, yeah. both Brand and Cooper are over 100 years old by the end of this film, even though they haven't aged a day. Exactly. Because they were flying so close to the horizon of the black hole, they experienced extreme time dilation where hundred, like maybe not 100 years have passed, but probably like, probably 90, 50 years. Probably like 80 to 90 years no, have passed. No, his daughter's still alive. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yes, yeah, like 80. It's like 80. Oh, no, she was like... <laughs> she was like what 12 13 yeah she's old as hell i guess she is old as because yeah. cooper, so eight, you could say 80 years yeah they're about the same age right yeah, so yeah. cooper's about 35 40 supposedly supposed to be the character obviously mcconaughey's not oh, no so it's, it's jessica chastain when he goes in the black hole 
she's got to be 30, 35. So then it's it's probably at the most 60 years okay. have passed by. It's been a while. Yeah. He's over 100 yeah. years old. Which he's is no why, spring, yeah. He's no spring chicken. Which is why you can say Brand and Coop are definitely at the same timeline, which is why it's possible for him to find her. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're the same age. Yeah, exactly. 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 So the closer you are to a black hole, the slower times go. Time goes for you, and time dilation, like we said, happens in the real world, and it's in part of our everyday life. We just don't realize it's going on. Calculations are being made for these satellites in space. Just nanoseconds of time is different. So what's really cool is uh, remember Kip Thorne. He he was a producer on this film, and he helped come up with the the mathematics to actually create the black hole with visual effects. And then when the photo of the black hole came out. A couple, a few years afterwards, the black hole photograph, it was just like a circle with empty space inside of it, and there was no like stream of light going across it like it does in this film, if you remember the film. Uh, but Kip Thorne was like, "Hold on, y'all," because everyone's saying he was wrong and that Interstellar was wrong. He's like, "Hold on, one second, guys. Let me show you something because I'm a fucking genius." <laughs> <laughs> so he took a, a 3D diagram of the image of the black hole, the real image. And then he's like, let me just turn it a little bit. So he turned it just like 60 degrees. And then once it was rotated, it was an exact replica of the interstellar black hole with the beam of light going across it. And then he even enhanced the image because the, the so low quality, that image of um, the, the actual photo of the black hole. So he increased the uh, quality of the image and sharpened it a bit. And then it was like the black hole from interstellar. So he's like, yeah, I was right, y'all. <laughs> it was just the image, the photograph of the black hole was just like, from the top of the black hole, whereas in the movie Interstellar, we're looking at it from the side. So he was right. So you could see the horizon. Exactly, yeah. Now, there's another concept of time in Interstellar where it's not time travel, but it's communicating through space-time using gravity, which Cooper finds out he can do at the end of the film when he's inside of the Tesseract that was created by the fifth-dimensional beings that used to be humans who got him and sent him here and needed him to communicate to Cooper the data from inside the to black Murph. hole. So, I mean, to Murph, the, the data, the quantum data from the black hole that they received, that TARS gave him. And he communicated through a watch hand, through time, with gravity, the quantum data, and binary. And also with the dust and with the books using gravity. Exactly. Yeah. So gravity, we find out in this film, according to Christopher Nolan, his universe, gravity can travel through space-time can't travel through time like when he asks Bran like can't we just like when what if we meet the fifth dimensional beings can't we just rewind time can't we go backwards she tries to explain to him that you know time cannot be it can be stretched but it can't be bent you can't go backwards and time to these fifth dimensional beings is kind of like a circle sort of like the aliens in arrival you know uh, time traveling going forwards in time can just be like climbing a mountain or something or going through a different point of time is is like going into a canyon. They need Cooper to use love to pinpoint the specific times, the f specific points in time to find Murph to with the watch to relay the quantum data. So and the, love the, and the, gravity yeah. transcend time. And the Tesseract is what allows him to use gravity because it, it's a fifth dimensional construct construct and that's why it's able to three-dimensional construct three-dimensional construct dimensional world of, yeah i'm sorry of a fifth dimensional world so that's why they're able he's able to transcend time with gravity because of the tesseract confused we've done episodes on all these so it's actually guys, a great episode yeah. <laughs> the tenet was great excellent episode and tenet tons of time stuff going on in here so get ready for this one i we love this i love this movie we've also done an entire episode on this it's one of my favorite episodes we've done now 
The main time concept in Tenet is inversion. Now, inversion is a process whereby an object or person has its entropy reversed, essentially flipping its chronology so that from that point on, it travels backwards in time instead of forwards in the film. This process is achieved via a turnstile, a temporal reversal engine that has a distinct entrance and exit, ensuring the object person doesn't accidentally come into contact with its past future self and cause the universe to implode and this isn't exactly time travel like anthony was talking about earlier the the main theme i think you have to realize about inversion and tenant is like neil says what's done is done time has happened forwards and backwards in this movie in this world all you're doing when you're being inverted is or reverted with the turnstile is just traveling that timeline backwards or forwards in real time. It's like hitting the reverse button on the object or person, and they're just flowing in reverse rather than a time travel device that uh, a time machine would send you back. It would like shoot you to a certain point, whereas inversion, you're literally going from the point where you started the inversion and just rewinding basically from that moment to finally reach the destination that you want to. So basically, yeah, it's it's a lot, I think, sim- more simple of a concept than people think. I think a, a couple of rewatches of this movie, you really nail it. And, you know, protagonist, when he finally goes through the turnstile for the first time and he's going backwards, it's really interesting because the entire world is going in reverse. He's technically walking in reverse and driving in reverse. It's really it's a really cool idea, and, and they pulled it off really well. And the reverse choreography, the reverse fighting that they did, they filmed sequences in reverse. And actually, Nolan was asked if they filmed this movie in reverse or forwards, and Nolan responded, no, we had to do everything four different ways, essentially. The actors, you know, they're learning how to throw a punch backwards. They're also trying to work with the stunt team to determine what an inverted punch against somebody who's not inverted, what effect that ha- that has because it's not just a straight, fo- straight backwards punch. And so you've got all these different levels of complexity, and that took months to sort out of development. And then the actors coming, and you know they had to learn how to walk backwards, talk backwards, and Kenneth Branagh's case, talk backwards in a Russian accent which he did in that sequence in the blue room there's a cool photo of him behind the scenes and he has a huge uh board with all of the inflections and vowels in reverse that he's he has to hit and that was how he did that yeah. scene because he has a, lo- a large chunk of dialogue and nolan does help us understand which is which with the co- use of color uh he used red and blue he hasn't been a, a director to really use color in significant ways ever but this film red and blue are extremely important to understand what's revert, what's inverted and what's not inverted. And I like, we, we get both in the pincer room and temporal pincer room, one half of the room on one side of the glass is red, and then the other half of the room is blue. That's and the al- turnstile room, not The pincer. turnstile, sorry. Yeah. And also <clears throat> the final act of the film, the two teams of soldiers, one team is the red team, one team is the blue team. And red team is regular time, and then blue team is, blue is inverted. Yeah. Basically, and so this is actually the first time he, Nolan has used uh, a color to signify important themes and symbols within the movie. Speaking of temporal pincer, what the hell is a temporal pincer? Which happens a few times in the movie. This entire movie is technically a temporal, a pincer. temporal pincer. A temporal pincer is happening at the final climactic battle of the film. Sater has a couple temporal pincers he uses in this film as well. In a temporal pincer, intent is a time-bending tactical technique for missions. You approach it moving forwards in time, and then also approach it in reverse, moving backwards from the future 
each side using the knowledge that the other side gained from having already experienced it, except both sides are actually experiencing it simultaneously. simultaneously. Essentially, the idea is that if you wanted to execute a plan at 5 p.m., you have half of your team initiate their actions at 4.30 p.m., while the other half starts at 5.30 p.m., except for that team is inverted and moving backwards. And so, yeah. <laughs> and what it, but it really does make sense because say you're not inverted and people who are inverted, for them, they're moving back. For us, they're moving in reverse. But from their perspective, we're moving in reverse. And they're moving forwards. And they're moving forwards. It's, it's just a really great way uh, to think about it, easy way to digest it. And it's, so the imagery in this movie is really incredible. Like seeing that building explode in reverse and then just blow up on itself because it got hit with both an inverted missile and then a real-time missile. Just like some of the coolest stuff visually I've ever seen in a movie in this film. The final the final climactic sequence is just really incredible and bombastic and just visually stunning. And I think this is really one of his most impressive movies in terms of the filmmaking. Uh, the more times you watch it, the better it gets. And it has a great conclusion and a great, excellent reveal uh, of in the last 10 minutes. And it leaves you wanting to watch it again. And it leaves you with lots of mysteries that you want to discover by watching it on repeat viewings. It's really important to also understand that Tenet does not involve parallel worlds or two different dimensions. Time is time. Everything's already happened. What's done is done. It's all happened. We're on this one timeline. The characters are on this timeline, and they're either just going inverted through the timeline or they're going present day or reverted through the timeline. And a lot of people question concepts of was Neil, did Neil spend decades traveling back to work with protagonists? Did the theory that is Eve's, played by Aaron Taylor Johnson, also, Michael Caine's character, are they the same person? What would he, Was he traveling backwards, reverted for 25 years after he aged 25 years? I think people need to get the concept under under their heads that these characters, these, these, uh, these tenant agents, they're not traveling 25 years in one direction. They're constantly inverting and, and reverting yeah. back and forth. And so they're aging as they're doing they it. They may only travel a year in real time. Like if yeah. Eve's character is Michael Caine, we made some clips and people like, oh, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's like, why? Why don't you Why don't you open up your mind and realize yeah. why does he have to travel 25 years in one timeline? It's a movie about inversion. He's an agent. He's constantly going forwards, backwards, forwards, backwards, forwards, backwards. Maybe he moves a year forwards. Maybe he use, moves a year backwards in an entire lifespan of 50 years. He might not even age. He might not have lived past the year 2020. Possibly. You know, if you got to look at it that way because we do see that character multiple times go inverted and revert. He does it twice in the movie. So clearly he's done it many times before. And that means he could age like an entire lifetime in a period of two real years. In a month. Yeah. So in a day. It, the way to think about it is it's not like he like made this he learned what happened and then he's like I'm going to grow up to 40 he's on a and then I'm going to invert for 20 years I'm on a ship just waiting yeah. to waiting to get the protagonist yeah, don't think yeah. of it like that think of it as just, he's just always present Going back and forth back and forth, yeah. back and forth back and forth and never really living for that long if you look think about it in terms of time passing by and if Neil is the child, maybe Neil was has been inverting and reverting for the entirety of his life. That's why he's kind of just been hovering around the same time period as yeah. protagonist. And eventually, protagonist will go on to have the adventures that he had with Neil that Neil had already experienced. Exactly, hundred percent. So don't think about it as I have to travel this 
distance and then this distance to get somewhere in Tenet. They may not even be moving a year. Yeah, because protagonist's final moment with Neil is like the beginning of a friendship. And I'm I'm for so him. excited yeah. for Tenet 2 where Denzel Washington plays older, ten, older, <laughs> older protagonist. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't want a Tenet 2. Um, another concept of time in Tenet is the Sater Square. Obviously, uh, Kenneth Branagh's character is named Sater. The Sater Square is a famous palindromic square that dates back about 2,000 years. It is the words... Rotas, Opera, Tenet, Arepo, and Seder, and is the same read backwards, forwards, up to down, left to right. All these words appear in the film as well. Tenet is the title, Seder is the villain, Opera the opening sequence, Arepo the forger, and Rotas the name of Seder's company. And also, the idea of inverted objects is just really fascinating. And for Seder, Seder the, um, the future people he is... Uh, communicating with and being paid by, they are inverting gold and in and burying it, and that's how he's able to uncover it. Ever since he was a, a teenager in um, what's that the city the number, um, and that's why the gold shows up in the ground in the present day for Seder because it has been inverted by future people. So the gold itself is traveling in reverse all the way to Seder, even though it's, and it's just been underground the whole time. Yeah, so inverted objects, another interesting concept. And again, we did an entire episode on Tenet and went over all this in even more detail to explain it further. Inverted objects are objects that have been sent back and were inverted and used in the future technically and sent back that's why they have inverted properties to them like that's why they can kind of feel the bullet and shoot the bullet backwards because these objects have been inverted in the concept of what if a nuclear bomb was inverted would mm. it, would they be able to use it the the concept of communication communicating with the future or communicating with the past is also a really interesting concept of time as well yeah. and the fact that in this timeline in tenet Time could literally end if Seder accomplishes his goal because the future is trying to destroy the past and end existence, which yeah. would end time in this timeline. This is like the biggest scope ever in a movie <laughs> to end time. It's pretty big. But like you can have real time. It's a it's a possible way of having real time conversations with people who live 100 years in the future because they're communicating invertedly and you're communicating with them in real time. And so if you bury, if you like, if I got bur if Seder buries a note, they will uncover it in a hundred years, but their inverted response will could just show up in front of Seder right then, and so they can have real time discussions over hundreds of years that are happening in real time for both of them. Really, really, really fascinating, really interesting stuff. Yeah, Nolan also uses watches a lot in his in his films. Obviously, the Prestige Cutter with his watch, he times the ma magic tricks when the women go in the water. Interstellar Cooper's watch is a huge part of the film. Obviously, him he gives him and his daughter the same exact watch. Then he uses the watch and the watch hand to communicate the quantum data through space, time, and using gravity. Inception, Cobb, and his watch. So watches are are a thematic element and practical element in a lot of his films. Clocks, watches to show time as a concept. Yeah, you see a ticking clock in a lot of his movies. I think too. every single one of his movies, yeah. he's got a watch or a, or a so clock ticking. ticking. Yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, you got anything else? I'm I'm pretty happy with I got everything. I think I covered everything yeah. I want to talk about. It's a lot. So then again, he's always avoided time travel. True. And I'm so curious how he's gonna use time in Oppenheimer. He's gonna use it somehow. The nuke is gonna go blow up in reverse. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's done he's done I'm guessing it'll be similar to uh, Batman Begins, is my guess. Maybe. It's possible some some nonlinear storytelling. Mm -hmm. I I guess that'd be really he interesting. He can't help himself. But if you think about it, <laughs> 
his last three movies, he's used time in completely different ways with time dilation and interstellar, Dunkirk, triptych storytelling, and Tenet with inversion, even before that, Dark Knight Rises with uh, Race Against the Clock, Inception before that. So he's been using time differently in all of his movies. So it's really fascinating to see what he's going to come up with for Oppenheimer. And also there's a possibility that Oppenheimer might be his first like traditional movie without any time funkiness. I, I think that there still will be. I, I'm guessing it'll be like Batman Begins first act in the first act of, technically of the pers- I mean, technically, um, uh, Insomnia is his most clear-cut yeah. linear story structure 100%. without funking around, funking around with time, even though we talked about how There's it feels like time yeah. has been still. He still fuses in. Even The Dark Knight has concepts of time. Dark Knight Rises have concept of time. So I think all of his movies will have time. Always. He's obsessed with it. And it's what makes, I think, his movies so enticing and thought-provoking and emotional and makes you still think about them decades after watching them. And they can be confusing at first, but when you give movies like Tenet a second chance and even a third rewatch, I guarantee you'll enjoy it a lot more. Also, if you watch our Tenet episode or listen to it, we explain it in depth. Uh, But I think that's why his movies are always so beloved and successful why he has such a big rabid fan base because he does something different even if he's making a big movie action and guns and stuff like you never see anything like it and the storytelling's never been done before he's always writing in an inventive way in a very creative way and he challenges himself which challenges the audience and i really love that that's why i love his his movies and his i'm always i'll be first in line to every movie that of his that comes out first First. Oh, yeah, you will. If you're not first, you're last. <laughs> All right, we can't wait for Oppenheimer uh, coming out in 2023. Very excited about that. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode on Christopher Nolan and his use and obsession with the concept of time. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Leave those five-star reviews. Take care, everybody. Talk to you soon. Goodbye, y'all. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast has been executive produced through Patreon by Cody Moen. John A. Graz, Calvin Cam, Lauren Smertz, Tyler McFly, and Luke Eccleston. Thank you so much for supporting our show, everyone. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.